0: Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today is the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, and we hear from the Rev. Phil Brichard as he preaches from the lectionary, which this week was Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 17. As always, you can find more information or sermons by All Soulsians on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. There was a moment this week when this gospel text really opened up for me. I don't know if that's happened for you when you, you spend time reading a text, looking at a text, hearing a text over and over and over, and you just hear it, and then that next time something just opens up. It happened for me when a friend of mine reminded me of, a, of an easy way to lose control of a seven-year-old's birthday party. Now, there are many ways to lose control of a seven-year-old's birthday party, of course, but, um, but one of the easier ways has to do with uh, starting a sentence with, uh, in a moment, we'll be serving the ice cream and cake. <laughs> because once you utter those words in a room of seven-year-olds, it really doesn't matter what you say next, because it's probably not going to be heard. And I was remembering those birthday parties this week when I came across what I think is the a, a hinge point in this passage. Jesus has uh, just set this, free, this woman free from her ailment. And uh, for the first time in what we're told is 18 years, she's able to look up and see the sky. And in that moment, the leader of the synagogue realizes what is happening. And our text uh, says that it's later that the entire crowd starts rejoicing. But when I read the NRSV, or the version we preach with and worship with on Sundays, when I read it, I heard something different. Because the, and it has me curious. The text reads like this. But the leader of the synagogue indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. It's that part where the leader has, has to keep saying. The leader keeps saying. It's his protestation that has caught my imagination this week. And what I imagine is that at first, when this woman begins to stand up, there's a stunned silence. But then the murmurs start, for the people gathered there that day, murmurs like, how many years has it been? It's been decades. And so I wonder if that's when the leader first starts his protest, and in My imagination, it's rather officious. There are six days on which work ought to be done. But the amazement of the crowd has turned from murmurs into gasps of joy. And so now I can imagine that the synagogue leader, well, maybe they're a bit flustered at this point. Uh, Maybe now they're struggling to be heard over the top of this pandemonium. There are six days on which this work ought to be done. And now he's having to shout, right? There are six days! Come on those days and be cured. Not on the Sabbath day. And finally, his words are heard by this jubilant crowd and by this itinerant teacher and wonder worker but at that point, it's too late because this party has started and it is now far, far outside of his control. And so as I got lost in that scene this week, I began really wondering what's going on in this man's mind, in this man's heart in that moment. What's he thinking? More importantly, what's he feeling as these shouts go up around him? Why does he feel the need to keep saying this? And I realize that one interpretation of this text over centuries has been about legalism that the synagogue leader is feeling frustrated because he is living by the letter of the law and Jesus is playing loose with the rules. But the more time that I spent this week and got into the, the context of the Sabbath rules of this time and into this scene in particular, the more that I began to recognize a familiar landscape. One that is within. And I have come to wonder if we actually have much more in common with the synagogue leader than might first meet the eye. I wonder if when the synagogue leader saw Jesus unbind this woman from her ailment and set her free after 18 long years. Well, I wonder if the synagogue leader might have felt just a little bit complicit. After all, it's likely that she's been in this community for all that time. Week after faithful week, she has shown up. And the synagogue leader wouldn't heal her, couldn't heal her. Did he even think that healing was possible? And now, in a heartbeat, his complicity with that crippling spirit is clear for everyone to see. Maybe his spluttering rage and his appeal to the rules of Sabbath are a cover. Maybe a a cover for feelings of inadequacy or that creeping feeling inside of being revealed as an imposter? Maybe you've had those feelings before in your life. I know I have. And uh, there's those moments when that other person meets the moment and you're caught flat-footed and you feel that heat and sometimes it feels like the easiest response in those moments the response that just might save face is to undermine their authority maybe that will stem the tide and maybe, maybe then things will go back to the way they were And I also wonder, in all of this, if there's something more going on. Uh, Maybe an even more fundamental or basic difference between what the synagogue leader is seeing and what Jesus is doing. Because when Jesus does defend his action of unbinding this woman from her crippling ailment, Jesus doesn't defend himself on the grounds that this action was not an act of labor, right? And that's important because uh, the Sabbath tradition is that you are to rest on the seventh day. You are not to, ga- to engage in any act of labor, you or your animals or anybody around you. No one is supposed to take an action of labor. And, it's, and it comes from uh, Exodus 20. It comes from God Uh, originally in Genesis, resting on the seventh day as part of creation. And that's what the synagogue leader is appealing to in his argument, but Jesus is not. Jesus draws from a different source of the ten best ways. He draws from Deuteronomy 5, and this is when the Stories of the people of God are told through the lens of having been freed from slavery. And here's how the commandment of the Sabbath reads in this telling. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. And then, after detailing all those who should not work, and it's like everybody, the text reads, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. To live into Sabbath is to live into liberation. Sabbath is for freedom. Sabbath is for life. And this woman is being bound by that spirit right now. She must be free. She must be allowed to be fully alive. And so for Jesus, the situation is not about ceasing from labor. It's about the the ethical imperative to set her free. And once again, in this story, like many of the stories we've heard in this chapter and before it, Jesus is doing everything he can to impress upon the people around him of the urgency of the moment. You've had 18 years to wait for the other six days to heal her. Today, she must be free so she can be fully alive. Remember those words of that early church theologian Irenaeus, that the glory of God, the glory of God is the human being fully alive. In the realm of God, if someone is bent over, you help them stand up. And I realize that this can sound uh, simple. And if it's so simple, why don't we do it all the time? Why do we allow people to be bound? Why do we allow ourselves to be bound? Why don't we want some people to be fully alive? Why do we have to struggle so much to be set free? Well, it's my sense that we actually don't need to look any further than ourselves, right? And uh, how willing we seem to be over time to become attached almost to some of our own bonds. Uh, to make peace with them, and then to expect and really to demand that others do the same. And so when we come across someone who is being set free, who has become fully alive, sometimes our response is to bind them back up. And so in some ways, perhaps this act of liberation best happens on the Sabbath as a reminder of the power that Pharaoh continues to exert, a distortive power that presses down on all of us, and a power that we so easily are tangled with. And I can tell you from hard-earned experience that sometimes we aren't Even aware of our investment and others being bent over. Sometimes when we feel complicit and other people not being able to stand, we respond by quoting the letter of the law while shying away from its spirit. And Jesus knows the temptation of saying one thing and living another. He knows the suffocating warp and distortion of a life bound tight, and He will not let it remain. And that is really, really good news. Because the good news is Jesus wants us to live free, wants us to live fully alive, but all of us. And when this happens, in the words of one biblical scholar, it becomes the best Sabbath ever.